Hello and welcome to 35 Minutes with Gabe Malika. I'm your host. I'm with my parents at the Jersey Shore this week. We're having a lot of fun, but I don't have my whole setup, so I'm recording this from my phone. No ads this week. Just wanted to introduce Matt O'Connor, who was a high school classmate of mine, Garden City class of 2011, and then he went on to Tufts. Uh, Super smart, interesting guy, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Bye. Hey, how's it going, man? It's good. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for um, for being on the pod on short notice. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here. Am I, am I, am I coming through all right? <laughs> yeah, I think you sound just fine. Um, are you like on a laptop? Yep, just on the just on the laptop. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm worried. Not worried, but I. The louder you speak, the better. The louder, I guess I'll. Yeah, I can sort of hug hug my computer a little bit. Yeah, give it a (laughs) bow down to our tech overlords. (laughs) Not only do they get to control your whole life, but you have to love them too. They they get all my physical affection as well as my mental. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. In college, somebody we were having a discussion about like, are there going to be like fake people that people fall in love with, like robots and stuff like that? Oh, definitely. And I remember I remember saying something that was so like just like Gabe lovey-dovey bullshit where I was just like, humans will be able to tell that it's not a person. And now I'm like, we would never know, right? I mean, you know, you know about the Turing, the Turing test, right? <laughs> about like determining if something's a human or not. I don't, I know that it exists. What it, does it prove anything in particular, the Turing test? So it's essentially a test of whether or not a human is capable of determining the you know the thing that they're communicating with is a human or an AI. Uh-huh. So there's like different ways it's constructed, but typically it's done like you can just do it over like text, you know, like a, an instant message, and like mm-hmm. have a conversation with someone or something, and then they ask you like, "Is this a human or is this an AI?" And we haven't we haven't pet like AIs have not yet passed it reliably. Some sort of have, and then a news article comes out every once in a while like we did it, but like not really. <laughs> Uh, I see. So we're still pretty good at determining whether or not. Good. Like if, if you ask it any sort of like meaningful questions or like sort of weird, like hilarious questions, they, they, they fail pretty. They fa- pretty I see. Reliably. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, Interesting. I mean, like, but if you ask an old person, true, right? like, the, like you could talk to an old person, be like, I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, like those email scams must work on someone, right? Like, you know, I've been getting rammed with robocalls recently and I don't, don't fully understand why, but yeah, my buddy Shafi has this great joke. He's from Bangladesh and he's like, my mom called, but my phone said scam likely. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so funny. Um, yeah. How's, yeah. The, uh, how's the comedy circuit going? I've been, uh, dude, it's so nice to be back. Yeah it's really fun people have such good jokes and like audiences are really like into it down to down to clown <laughs> yeah people are just like happy and the comics like aren't totally jaded yet like they still are like a little bit like somebody will get some comic will get like a thing on i don't know i'll just name it, like hbo max or something and a bunch of comics will be like that's bullshit that person sucks like whatever <laughs> but like that's expected yeah like in any work environment that's sort of like just insane people who celebrated and who isn't like yeah yeah yeah. that's like a big thing in comedy where like yeah who gets celebrated and why and you know 
it's usually these like edgelord right-wing people <laughs> who are mad about like Yikes. queer people finally like getting to do comedy <laughs> or whatever. It's usually like bullshit like that. Yeah, um, where are you calling from today? My apartment. Oh, you're in your apartment. No shit. I'm in my apartment in Bushwick. <laughs> in Bushwick. Okay, cool. I'm going to Gowanus later. Nice. Um, I love Gowanus. For a show. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, where I'm doing apartment? a show. What's the spot? <laughs> It's the Gowanus. Da, 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 da. It is the Gowanus Dredgers Canoe Club Boathouse. Are you going to be in the canal? Is that where you'll be? <laughs> that's now. That's some Italian comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know you've made it. You sing. You sing. Uh, like beautiful love songs and you tell crack jokes. Well, actually I'm bringing, so I'm, I'm, I'll announce this at the beginning of the pod in the intro or whatever, but um, I'm doing a music, music and comedy show. Finally, for the first time in my life, I've always wanted to combine them. Okay. So I'm going to do a show at caveat. Do you know caveat? It's in uh, lower East side. Was, East village. I was just in the lower uh, last night, but not. A- it's, it's almost like a hidden venue where you like, can't tell it's a venue unless you knew it, but I'm doing a show where I'm hosting. Yeah. It's like a speakeasy and it's like a lot of like nerdy comedy. It's a lot of like Ted talk parody type comedy. Um, But mine is more like a standard comedy show and it's going to be me, a house band. So like a three piece band, two musical acts, and then like three or four headlining comedians. Is there, are they like sort of separate from one another or are they like, I think I'm going to do the performance. Truly, I, I think it depends on who I end up getting, bo- who I book, because a certain comedy or certain musical act I feel like would be fine going in the middle of a comedy show, and then a couple others. I'm like, oh, I'll put them at the beginning. Everyone will enjoy the music, yeah, and then we'll get to the comedy. So, like for me, it depends. Yeah, um, but it's sort of like my, I've been calling the show like my 3 a.m. dream of what a night out in New York City could be. <laughs> I love that. That is um, that is a very. Uh sort of like emblematic of new york just music mm-hmm. sort of something strange you're, you're not really going to get elsewhere i also feel like there's yeah. a huge amount of opportunity for like combining the two i don't really know how that would work but like you know i just saw norman mark norman did a bit where like he brought a drummer up on stage and was like riffing with the drummer mm-hmm. and, you know there was those shows years ago where like Chappelle and John Mayer were just on the stage at the same time. And like, yeah, you know, John yeah. Mayer is playing guitar licks, Chappelle's just riffing. And like, there's all sorts of like interesting exploratory or creative elements that I feel like you could fuse together there, but really difficult. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, that's the, that's the dream is that like, I could, the band leader I had a me- meeting with today, I was like, Oh, like we might riff a little bit. Is that cool? He was like, yeah, we can talk like between acts and stuff like that. I was like, that's perfect. I want that to be the vibe because all the the joke always is like comedians want to be rock stars and rock stars want to tell jokes between their songs. I feel like, I mean, music can be so funny or so comedic in and of itself. And I feel like comedy can be so musical. Mm-hmm. in and of itself and so there's really a, a great joke is music man yeah absolutely um okay so i want to talk to you for a bunch of reasons not just about my comedy career but <laughs> I'm, just, um, I'm just setting you up for all the plugs <laughs> uh, yeah i have another friend that does a podcast called just the plugs <laughs> where he has comedians come on and only do plugs <laughs> That's um yeah, we got to get you on that. Um, or me on that, I guess. Great, yeah. The Ray, Jeff Raybould is your name. Um, 
But uh, okay, so you're in Bushwick and we went to high school together. Do you remember? Let's see if you remember this. Do you remember running into me in Boston in college? I, I do. I don't remember where we were though. Where were it was? We were on the red line. I was with my girlfriend at the time and you were coming from like weed fest or something. <laughs> do you remember that? I can edit that out. Of I do. I I, actually, I feel like I do, but also maybe not like the, the uh-huh. memory is very loose. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I probably did do that. Like, what is that? Uh, like yeah, like four, not 420 fest. It was like, uh, it's a huge, it's a huge festival that happens every year in Boston, but it's like in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. more for like a legalization thing, but now I, I wonder if it still happens. It's like Canafest or Hemp, mm-hmm. Hempfest, Hempfest. There we go. Hempfest. Yeah. Because I was walking through the crowd with my girlfriend and she's like, she was a very like, very lovely person, but very straight laced. Like there's no weed going on. And I was, you know, dating the straight laced girl. So there's no like weed going on. And we're walking through this crowd. Like, who are these savages? <laughs> then and then about. I get on the train and you're like, yeah, hey, Gabe. <laughs> and she's like, you know someone who's at Hempfest? I was like, yeah, that's. I guess that's my people. <laughs> that's me. That's funny. I do not. Um, I, I do not smoke weed anymore. I've really. I know. I've been. I've been out of the game for years at this point. It's honestly kind of shocking. Especially considering. Um, oh wow! So I'm really confronting you with your old self. I mean, not. I mean, I. I fully. Rec- you know, fully. Um, I guess part of me still identifies with that, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm fully comfortable with that part of my past, but I, mm. I am not. Uh, I just, yeah, I couldn't do anymore. Way too anxious. Way too anxious all the time. That's what everybody seems to say, because I've never really been a, a marijuana user. First, it was like, I needed no vocal, no vocal, you know, I'm a singer. And then I got over my pretension. Um, and even still, like, it never, it wasn't my... From what I understand, I have friends that do like five milligrams, like after a hard day, and they just like right. have a little gummy yeah. bear and they just sit there. If, yeah, if I am going to do it, I would probably prefer an edible or, you know, if someone might hand me a joint and I might take a hit, but like I can't, I can't get high and then live my life. It just doesn't, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, just what people seem to say is that like of all the, of all the drugs, like it, it is one that will make you, if you're anxious, like it can make you really, really anxious. Oh, absolutely. And it, yeah, I've, uh-huh. I've, I guess I found the shift interesting because, like, you know, I was stoned every day, multiple times a day for years, and then mm-hmm. like, you know, something just like I slowly realized, but I was like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I'm either just unproductive and debilitated, or like genuinely extremely anxious. And so sure. like, I just sort of slowly stopped. And now I like I haven't smoked weed in months, like, yeah, <laughs> at all. So. Being sober is pretty rad too. You know? Yeah, man. I, I I don't drink at all. I gave it all up. I just have yeah. seltzer everywhere. Good for you. Um, seltzer is pretty, man. Pretty pretty wild stuff. <laughs> I know. It's well. It's the other thing. I'm out at bars every night. Right. Yeah. And you just like can't like. Is that? I don't want to say it's a work environment, but like it's work. Is that? I feel like what's triggering for me is not so much peer pressure, but like environmental pressure, like being at a bar or. Mm-hmm. Um, just mm-hmm. like being around people who are doing or using drugs generally. Sure. Um, I guess I don't get invited anywhere. Cool. <laughs> and when I'm at, again, when I'm at a bar, like I bring out my notebook, I'm like, Ooh, I have a, I'm trying to meet people. Right. 
you know, I have ambition as a notebook. Drug. I feel like a notebook. You're you're asking for people to, hey, what are you writing? What are you what are you what are you working on? I feel like it's 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 a, it's oddly very social. Maybe maybe mm, sometimes sometimes the tr- the trick is you put in the AirPods. Mm, true. Notebook, even if you're not listening to anything, plus AirPods is, is definitely don't talk to me. Yeah, just and I'm not a, no, I'm not a pretty woman, so people don't really. talk to me. That's also, <laughs> people leave me alone. That's also a bummer. <laughs> You're, you're you're a pretty woman to me, Gabe. I'd, I'd, oh, I'd, thank you, Matt I'd talk, O'Connor. I'd talk to you at the podcast. Um, oh, this is so fun. Normally, I introduce the guest right away, but we're just talking about stuff. So, okay. So, you're interesting to me for a million reasons. One of them is that we did music together, and we can talk about that. But two is that you... Um, you know, we were sort of raised in the 2000s, um, and you always seem to have a is predilection the right word a curiosity mm. about things that like we're like like you do computer stuff yeah. and you seem to have like an interest and a knowledge about like psychedelic stuff i've talked to you about that stuff before um um i remember in college you posted something about like at tufts you guys were like studying there was something that you posted that i was like oh i'm really interested in that maybe maybe it's because i read the michael pollan book i don't know my have pollan. you ever read michael pollan is like um He's sort of like the Malcolm Gladwell of food. Oh, interesting. Um, so he writes like eat plants, a lot of them. I don't love. I don't love Malcolm. I feel like Malcolm Gladwell is a contentious figure. Maybe, maybe he's a, he's a very contentious figure. He's like a shill for the um, yeah he like the tobacco lobby. He, he, re, he like reads one scientific study and then writes a book about it, and then you're kind of like, well, you're sort of wildly misinterpreting this data, but yeah, you wanna, yeah, if you want to build a narrative around it, I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he loves he loves a good narrative. So maybe that's a bad analogy. He was Malcolm Gladwell. If Malcolm Gladwell was who I thought he was in 2009, <laughs> that's Michael Pollan. <laughs> I just saw, I actually I just went to the cellar for the first time in my life on Wednesday. And, oh hell yeah! And, Gol- and Goldman was there. Gary Goldman. And he, yeah, he told the joker, he was like, oh, I live at you know 139,000th Street and uh, Malcolm X Boulevard. And people are wondering, like, oh, like, is it is it cool up there now? And I'm like, no, it's Malcolm X Boulevard. It's not Malcolm Gladwell Boulevard. <laughs> 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 it was mostly just complaining about white people asking if it's if it's wide enough up there yet. That's really funny. Oh, did you have fun at this? Were you in McDougal or yeah, McDougal, yeah, it was great. I I never I didn't realize how small that room is. I expected that room. It's to small, be a little bigger. Um, yeah, Chris Rock. Who else was on the show? Uh, Chris Rock dropped in, which was a surprise. That was fun. Oh, cool. It was Goldman, Dan Soder. Uh, I forget who's emceeing, but you would recognize him in a heartbeat. I recognized him. I forget his name. And then the woman, white guy, white woman, black guy, black guy, um, John Laster or Artie Fuqua. I can't remember. And then the woman Ooh, who closed absolutely destroyed me. She was murdering. I almost want to look up who it was. Yeah. I, I'm not going to be able to do this in any sort of timely manner. Caitlin Palufo, Adrian. Maybe Adrian. She was Aya Pellucci. So I think it maybe it was her, Adrian. I don't know. Yeah, um, like, yeah, I guess Jewish woman from Jersey, like really ripping into. Um, I don't know. Just Jessica Kirsten. Like, yeah, I think it was Jessica Kirsten. Jessica Kirsten. Oh, she's filthy. Yeah, she she's amazing. On she was murdering that room. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I was dying. She was savage and to just did not care at all. Um, <laughs> she absolutely wrecked me. It was amazing. She was fantastic though. Just like oh, that's great. I love. I can I. I'm. Gonna, this is going to sound like a brag. I don't necessarily want it to be, but I've been like I've hung out there a couple times in the last 
like month nice. like people brought me in and i've been like in the green room like awesome. seeing people it's been really yeah. fun i feel like it's just a very cool environment it's the coolest yeah. it's the coolest place on earth i mean like it has its problems but i really do yeah. like who doesn't want to work there you yeah. know it's like and then yeah i guess seeing rock drop in was really funny because you know the crowd loses their mind like oh shit chris rock yeah. And immediately he's like, all right, everybody, look, lower your expectations. It's not yeah. that good. Yeah, he's there to work on bits. Yeah, and the, like very clearly what he was doing, it was not polished. It was a lot of it was kind of rough, a little awkward, but I almost appreciated that more, just like seeing him very much engage with the craft and the process and like feeling out what worked, what didn't work. He was also mm-hmm. just, I feel like telling it like, you know, overwhelmingly white crowd and telling a lot of like sort of uh like more intense like racism in America jokes and just making people uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, but he kind of loved it. He was like, oh, "I love all of your uncomfortable faces." Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Those are the sets. Yeah. I won't do this. I'll do this as a comedian, not as like a. I don't recommend people listening at home do this, but like, like we're bigly. We'll do a a comedy club to work out a solo show, and I will. I'll record it. Yeah. And then when he eventually puts it on Broadway or on Netflix, like I have the original fucking right. document that he started with. You can see the progression and, and how it's developed. Yeah. yeah. Like a student. Like it's I'm like, cool. how does this, how do you polish a Broadway solo show? Yeah, well, you run it at governors on Long Island yeah. <laughs> and you, if it works there, like it probably work exactly. for like the NPR crowd. Um, that was a great tangent. I appreciate the Malcolm X, Malcolm Gladwell is so funny. <laughs> I was, I was going to be like, how did we get here? And it was like, um, in his, um, you didn't see Mulaney yet. Have you? No, I haven't seen Mulaney. You got to go see the city winery show. Oh, Cause he's out of rehab. Nice. There's a joke about Grantland, the Bill Simmons website. That is just like, I won't give it away, but like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so good. I would love to see him. From like yeah. 10 years ago. Um, anyway, Matt O'Connor. So you, so you always had like a curiosity about you. So when I think about you, I think about like, obviously like you played drums and you were great at the drums and then you were like, I'm going to Tufts. I'm going to study like the brain. And like, I have all these curiosities about the internet and computers and shit. Um, what did you end up studying in under, we're got to music. What did you end up studying in undergrad? What was your focus? What were you into? So I did, um, so I was lucky. I, I knew what exactly what I wanted to study right before I went to undergrad. Actually, um, largely in part to our dear friend, um, Peter Cohn, who is no longer with us. Uh, yeah. he, he gave me a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And I read that book and like totally blew my mind. Um, it's all about mm. the concept of neuroplasticity, which is quite literally the brain's ability to change and rewire itself based on your experiences, but also like your thoughts and sort of, you know, your own ability to introspect. Um, and they, they examine all of these like ridiculous case studies or in certain cases, more thorough, um, more thorough studies where, you know, people like who are like stroke victims, for example, who were like, were no longer capable of walking and most standard rehabs had like already given up on them um and they like through a series of just like really intense um rehab and training you know they taught them how to like crawl and they thought they like just sort of reverted they taught them how to crawl um so mm. they're like very very slow and then like from there they could slowly crawl and then they, and then like you know maybe a year or two later i forget the timeline as i'm making this up but you know eventually they could walk another mind-blowing one that they did was like someone who was completely congenitally blind, like could not see at all. Um, They hooked them up to this apparatus and it was like a tactile apparatus where they had, they would like take a picture and then like translate that image 
into like tactile sensations on the back of their neck. So they could get like an impression of like what it felt like, or like sort of like the, maybe the grayscale image um, mm-hmm. on the back of their neck. And then they could like engage in pretty low level object recognition, just like walking around, like not being able to see sort of like hooked up to a camera. And, you know, it's not like they could look at the output of the camera, but they were like projecting the output of the camera into like touch based sensations on their neck and just countless other examples of like, if you think about working out, you can get like very low level muscle stimulation and like (laughs) actually start to like get, I mean, not in any sort of, I think, meaningful way, but like there's enough where it's like somewhat significant. And so all, all these things, I was just like, I just found that so fascinating. And I think the brain is still to me, one of the most fascinating, arguably like most complex objects in the universe um, that we still have such little understanding of, you know, yeah. I mean, we, we've been doing neuroscience for like meaningfully for, I don't know, 60, 70 years, which is really not that long. <laughs> it's nothing. Um, yeah. But still, I mean, just, we have a, a tremendous hoard of knowledge about it, but still like when you just look at the sheer mass of neurons and the sheer mass of complexity that's going on in the brain, it's, it's really end- endlessly fascinating um, yeah. and, and all the things that it's capable of engaging with. Um, and I think, yeah, almost connecting it back to our earlier conversation, you know, I was, uh, you know, a listless teenager growing up in, in Garden City and like I discovered weed and I was like, well, this is the answer to all of my problems. <laughs> I think just the, the, you know, I, I, I still have a fascination with, you know, experimenting with consciousness and the ability for us to manipulate our consciousness, either for, you know, psychopharmacological means or, you know, even just meditation and then spirituality or, or even music. I mean, I think music is such a deep, deep, um, you know, emotional and spiritual connection for me um, and mm. it can really take you to spectacular places where like, you know, I could be dead sober um, and at a concert and just be absolutely sore and, and, you know, be such, you know, such an amazing, such an intense and such a, like a, you know, like crazy consciousness, like manipulating experience when, you know, without any sort of external or, you know, sort of direct chemical influence. And so all of those things, I feel like really I'm tangenting again, but all those things are no, no, no. and, you know, that what led me to study cognitive science. And so, yeah, so I did that in undergrad. And cognitive science meaning, so that's so, like so the- cognitive in, science is, it, is um, it's the study of the mind, not so much the study of the brain. So the brain is really sort of the, the harder neuroscience um, of it. And so the mind gets into sort of, um, you know, obviously neuroscience and psychology, but it's a very interdisciplinary field. So it's also um, linguistics, um, philosophy, um, computer science, um, you know, sort of like, you know, that hybrid area, like computational theories of mind or like artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, mm-hmm. th- those lean more on the computer science, like hard math aspect of things, but really, you know, taking all these different perspectives and, and looking at the mind um, or, or really just consciousness in general and, and trying to uh, apply these various modes and perspectives about, you know, these things and how, how do we answer these problems? Um, yeah. How, and what kind of depth are you finding? as an undergrad, because there are a lot of like requirements and like shit too. Yeah, so I think Uh, as an undergrad, I mean, it definitely introduces you to all these ideas and then you you have the opportunity to specialize a little bit. I I leaned more into that. So I ended up doubling, I ended up doubling in computer science because as a part of that major, it makes you take introductory classes um, and then you're just taking introductory programming classes. And I was like, this is a fantastic way of thinking about problem solving, you know, mm. to program things um, and, and build things. I feel like there's also another something that really resonates with my personality just as being like a, you know, 
simultaneously very rational and problem solving oriented, but also very creative. You can sort of build, um, you know, build anything that you really think about or, you know, sort of combine pieces of technology in new and interesting ways. And I, I found that idea and I still find that idea very fascinating. You know, that's what I, that's what I do for my living these days. Um, Which is software? Yeah. So I'm a software engineer. Um, I sold out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Believe me, you don't have to talk to me. I got roommates. I got, you know, ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, I love that intersection. That's so interesting of like, there's this right brain, like ones and two or ones and zeros. Sure. This is how a computer I, works I, from I hate, scratch. I hate that distinction. I hate the left brain, right brain. I feel like it's- <laughs> sure. Sorry. That's my layman's terms. Um, no, I, I, but, I, I see, but yeah, I mean, I guess that is sort of the way that I think about it. You know, it's, um, you know, simultaneous. but like, you're also a creative person and a spiritual person, right? Like yeah. those things are, you don't, I don't, there are some people, right. That do computer science that like, are like, do you like me? Yes or no? Like that really do think that way. Right. I'm sure you work with people. Right. I don't want you to sell out anyone from work. It's a, I mean, I think it's a, I mean, it's a bit of a stereotype, but I I definitely find it to be true at least a little bit. Um, you know, it's a sort of stereotypical software engineer who's not particularly social or, you know, just like really focused on work. Um, and I, I think a lot of that comes from, I think it comes from a few places. I don't, I don't want to get too deep into this because I don't have a good answer for it. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the kinds of people that historically like were interested in these sorts of things where, you know, you're just your classic nerds and geeks, which, you know, I'm definitely a nerd. Um, but also like, I feel like a lot of the work environment, like a lot of it is just still can be like very stressful. And a lot of it is just like really fucking hard. Like even my job mm. right now is just like, sometimes you're dealing with things that are just like impossibly difficult and takes, you know, weeks, you know, I'm working on something right now. I'm just in the research phase. I haven't written a line of code and it's taken me like three or four weeks just to mm. sort of like conceptualize the problem and, and what we actually want to do. Um, so I feel like there's a, a certain amount of stress there, but yeah, I guess as far as like the personality archetype of, you know, people who, but yeah, I don't know. I think that's also kind of bullshit. I think that's changing. Um, you know, the field is changing rapidly. I mean, I think a lot of it is just like an, uh, an issue of diversity, you know, like, there are, there are no women who work on my team, which I find appalling. Um, yeah. And I mean, we're, we're getting better. I think the company that I work, I think does a excellent job with like diversity inclusion efforts and making sure everyone's aware of this and also like reaching out to underserved um, communities and, and creating those relationships. Um, yeah. But so much of it, I feel like, you know, this is sort of like the tail end of these things as far as like people who are interviewing and, and getting jobs or internships. Like, you know, if you're a woman in computer science, you have to overcome, you know, sexism from like, you know, the beginning of her life up through high school, up through undergrad. And then if you make it through all of that, then honestly, all of the women engineers I know are like the best engineers. They're all mm. so good at their job. Um, frankly, I think better in a lot of ways. Sure. It's almost unsurprising because I feel like in order to get through all the bullshit that they have to deal with, you just have to be really good, um, mm. which is kind of, you know, that's not, I mean, it's not a good reason, but like, you know, it, it, it's just sort of the way things are. Isn't that true equality, right? When like there's, um, <laughs> there's so many female engineers that some of them are bad. <laughs> They're not all just like the best. Right. Yeah. Like I'd love to meet a shitty yeah, that's, I'd be like, oh, there's like, now we did it. <laughs> yeah. Or like a shitty, really famous female comedian, like right, Seinfeld right. level famous. It's like, because there's so many men, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to name names. That's my industry, right? Just but like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's, um, 
That's interesting to hear you say that. I mean, I work with high schoolers and we have, they all, a lot of the female students, I have to do girls who code yeah. the program, which like really does like attempt to, um, to like, they do recognize like, Oh, maybe even high school might be too late, but like we can try, we can right. get women into this. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, so much of it ends up being like rep- like representation. We obviously talk about a lot, you know, like as far as a role model, like a young girl's like, oh, like I'd love to be an engineer, but no one who's in that role looks like me or I can't talk to anyone mm-hmm. in that role mm-hmm. and really see myself there. I, I feel like I, I used to maybe write that off like, oh, that doesn't matter, but like it, it clearly matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it cool to hear you talk about that. Um I'm glad it's, it's nice when people that you haven't spoken to a lot in the last like 12 years, you're like, Oh, you ended up pretty cool. <laughs> like you got cool politics. <laughs> you like, likes the same stuff I like. Um, Thanks. okay. So, so you like problem solving. That's great. So like, that makes sense to me that you would work, um, in software development. Yeah. I do. Um, I, yeah. I do love my job. I feel like it's, it's very, it's very like sort of immediately satisfying, like solving a problem mm. and being like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> Is very, yeah, is very I definitely is very, is very rewarding. <laughs> I love that. I, I, you know, I, I was a pretty artsy fartsy, just like student in all ways. But my senior year, I took um, symbolic logic, yeah. a philosophy class. I think I took and before. did you? Yeah. It's um, it's really satisfying. Yeah, it's fun when you just like. Yeah, it's the closest I think I got to coding, yeah. where it's like you basically have to explain. Mm-hmm. You have to write rules to explain like very simple things that you take for granted, but you have to prove it. Maybe a better writer. If, if, if P then Q, your your ors and ends, all your basic logical operations. Yeah. 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 I think it's cool. I, I stupidly took a graduate level logic class when I was like a freshman or a sophomore and was just mm-hmm. so unprepared. I ended up uh-huh. I ended up withdrawing from that class. I was not prepared for it. Um, it's a, they it, moved got, it got really heavy and got really nasty. I was I was not quite prepared for the, the by the final unit of ours, I was like, oh this is where I I was good for the first like six units. Yeah. And then the final unit got like into really complicated things that just like don't even look like yeah. English at that point. Yeah, no, it gets it gets very abstract. You know, symbolic logic, even modal logic, all sorts of interesting subfields there. Yeah. yeah. Did you no, no, please. I was, yeah, I feel like I, I miss, I miss that level of thinking where right? I miss, you know, I, I mean, I do software engineering now and that's great. And I love that, but more so, I guess for our earlier conversation, I miss like thinking about the brain. I miss like neuroscience. I miss that sort of like pure academic environment where you're just like surrounded by people who are committed to learning and like having fun and still bullshitting and like, I guess college in general, but like, yeah, part of me sort of wants to go back to grad school and like just figure it out and just like satisfy those intellectual curiosities of mine. Um, yeah. Do you uh, see yourself, like, do you see yourself being doing a software engineering for the next 25 years? Is that, I don't know. I'll probably get bored eventually. But, sure. Sure. I mean, I, I see, I see myself living in New York for at least the next three to five years and then I'll probably reevaluate. I might go get a PhD at some point. At this point, it doesn't really make any, it doesn't make any economic sense for me to get a PhD. And I kind of hate that line of thinking. Um, but it is very realistic. Like, you know, it's very realistic. Um, yeah. Is that in computer science or in something else? Yeah. I mean, like if I wanted to get a PhD, I would probably pivot back to like a hybrid area and do like computational neuroscience, which I think would be sweet. Um, yeah. But like, you know, very limited and like, I realistically wouldn't get into like a program that I would want to get into. So sure. I, I hope my professional experience at this point would like help me rather than my like, you know, mediocre undergraduate experience. Um, 
when the, when people apply to those programs at 22, I'm like, you, what are you, you're going to be a professor. You're going to get out of there. You know, it's like, I mean, I, I know, crazy. I know a lot of people that did it went straight from undergrad to PhD. Same, same. Know, but you know, now just getting their PhDs and, or just finishing up. I mean, they're all, you know, geniuses and that's, and they're, I think they're, they just thrive in those sorts of environments. They're always sort of yeah. like the pure academics and, and they loved, they love sitting there and learning and reading and writing and writing papers and, and doing all those things. Yeah, like, you gotta love it. Whereas, like, I, I mean, I love that stuff, like in theory, but in practice, I'm like, I can't fucking hate this. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have a job, and like, yeah. you know, you go out on weekends. It's like a little bit more like <laughs> I do go out on weekends. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Yeah, I'm very happy. New York is like bouncing back right now, even though I feel like it's a it's a one sided, um, you know, joy to take in the the pandemic being over, even though it's not really over when you look at the rest yes. of the world. Um, but I've just been thinking about this. We need a new word for what we're in right now. Cause it's not over. It's like something, right? It's like locally over. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. It's like at bay. But yeah. Like I, can, <laughs> I can do pretty much everything I want to do now. Like shows are back. I can go see concerts. I can go out to a bar. I can go out to a restaurant. I basically yeah. don't wear my mask outside anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, but like, yeah, things are, things are bouncing and the city feels yeah. very like, almost more I don't I don't want to say more so than usual but I feel like there's like a, a certain energy in the city right now where like I think people are just like really trying to get after it or everyone's really horny or I don't know what's happening but like people are just like very much in the mood to to go and party and, and do and see things and I would, yeah, I would, com- whenever I try to say do things and see people I end up saying do people and see people. and see things <laughs> well that's the old Chris Rock joke do you know that joke about marriages no you should be having sex and go and traveling places you should be coming and going <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one yeah it's uh by the way do you do you know at Tufts you went to Tufts undergrad did you know a Tom Williams graduate student in computer science he was in robots he was uh, my undergraduate classmate I did not um but yeah Tufts but he a, a great robotics program. Matthias Schwartz was like one of the leaders in the field. And I think so. mm-hmm. oh, and I think he took a Daniel Dennett class, the philosopher. Yeah, I took a, a number of classes with Dennett. Really? So Dennett led the and was the chair of the cognitive science program at Tufts. So I was, that's cool. I was very lucky to be able to take classes with him. I mean, he's just yeah, like, he's like the guy. Yeah, he's yeah, he's the guy. I mean, he's just kind of like OG philosopher of mind or yeah, specifically and like cognition, cognition right? Like specifically that's cognitive his... science and, and wrote all sort of very fundamental papers in the field that, that people, you know, cite and, and talk about consistently. Um, yeah. He was amazing. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, he's still alive. He's got to be so old at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. But even, I remember my senior year, I took a class with him and one of his, like, young protégés. And his, I forget that, what was that guy's name? He was amazing, his young protégé. He was just, like, the coolest dude. Like, mm-hmm. did his undergrad at Tufts and then got his PhD at Harvard and was doing his postdoc at MIT and just doing all this ridiculous, intense neuroscience research, but just also had like the philosophical foundations to talk about it in a really mm. fresh and interesting way. And Dennett was there too, but it was really that other guy leading the class. But yeah, I remember Dennett being like, he was a little, like he was still extremely smart and extremely with it, but he was like slightly less sharp than I feel like a class I took with him, like even mm-hmm. a few years ago. Yeah, he was like the, Dennett feels like the Chomsky of cognition. Right. Yeah, I imagine Um, they hang out. (laughs) They probably do, right? They're in Boston. You know, where else? They hang out. Um, They they go to the North End for Italian food, I like to imagine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a hilarious image just just dead and hanging out that's uh 
that's really fun. Um, let me think where I wanted to go. Okay. So, so you have this interest. And so can we talk about, so I read this Michael Pollan book and basically the book is like the history of psychedelics. Mm. And some people think like mushrooms connect the whole universe (laughs) and like under the earth is mushrooms and mushrooms like, or is like the, is like the earth's brain. And like, um, there's all these like theories about mushrooms or whatever. And I was reading about like the first mushroom trip ever, basically where what do you mean the first mushroom trip ever so like the first documented like this guy ate this thing Uh, gordon gordon uh, the first documented western yes okay yes where he was like people have been doing mushrooms for thousands of yes 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 (laughs) um where he's describing paul is describing like this is the first mushroom trip to take mushrooms (laughs) yes yes yeah (laughs) um where he's like that was the first mushroom trip ever that was devoid of expectation Mm. Where it's like, since then, people's brains have known that something's going to happen, and that fundamentally changes the way that you're going to approach the situation. That's sort of the the basic uh, philosophy, I think, behind psychedelics in general is, or at least, you know, the uh, people also talk about it in terms of harm reduction, but like set and setting, you know, the set and setting, exactly. The environmental setting that you find yourself in, you know, are you in your apartment? Are you in, you know, New York City? Are you in like a beautiful natural environment? Or, you know, where are you? Um, just sort of mm-hmm. like the level of environmental stimuli that very much influence your trip and then your, your mental set or your, your emotional um, set you know just like you know what's going on are you anxious are you depressed like are you really happy are you really sad like I, I, yeah I like to look at psychedelics as neither inherently positive or negative but mm. augmenters of whatever it is you're already experiencing I think mm. there's I, I go back and forth on that a little bit I think they're I mean, I think my own sort of perspective, I think there is something fundamentally positive about them. Uh, Mostly, I think, due to their ability to, like, deconstruct your, like, preconceived notions of the world, I guess I consider to be, um, you know, sort of a a fundamentally positive thing. But, you know, you could kind of take that either way. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, the experience itself, you know, you can have absolutely horrifying experiences on psychedelics. Um, yeah. Or, you know, the most beautiful and transcendent experience of your life. or, Or anything in between, you know. Sometimes you can just take yeah. psychedelics and have a really fun time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is the, I think I read something in the poem book too, about like, there was like a Harvard at the Harvard chapel. There's like a famous like oh, acid. Yeah. Timothy, Timothy Leary, the, the good Friday experiment. Good Friday experiment. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Timothy Leary gave a bunch of graduate students. I think he gave them mushrooms uh, uh-huh. and took them to like a good Friday mass, which is crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And like did a follow up and like interviewed them and like some absurdly high percentage of them marked that experience as like one of the two or three most important experiences of their entire life. Yeah. Yeah. That communal, that it's such an individual experience, but they had it communally and like it's fraught with scientific problems, right? Like it's not, it's not being peer reviewed for, I think they fired them for that. that Uh (laughs) As the Lord intended. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So you went to school in like a psychedelic place, right? I mean, like, I mean, I think Boston is. I mean, I think Boston is very like you know intellectual or, or academic or just there's a bunch of colleges there really at the end of the day. Um, sure, and a lot of colleges with like a bent to them that I would say is. I mean, they're all liberal arts schools, I guess. But I call yeah, Boston they're liberal arts schools with, with like sciencey stuff too. I think though, New York right? is way more of a psychedelic place than Boston. Really interesting. I think so much of it is just like the human energy and just like the overwhelming intensity of everything that's going on in New York. I consider mm-hmm. to be way more fundamentally psychedelic than 
Boston. I mean, it's also like, what are we talking about when we say something is psychedelic? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's some people again, from my poor reading of this book that are like, Oh, I don't use that term psychotropic. Like there's all these people, I like, I like all these the term psychedelic. psychedelic. I mean, there's a few different sort of interpretations of what it was, but I think the, the literal interpretation is like mind. Um, so psyche, like the mind and then Delios, like something like light, like giving light to mind or a mind manifesting. Um, mm. so like, you know, showing yourself like sort of the inner workings of your mind. Um, Mm-hmm. But also, I th- yeah, I think psychedelics to me are sort of like fundamentally conditional and also I think fundamentally human. Um, and so I think New York to me is like the most human and like most conditional place in that it's like, you know, the, the human energy in New York City is, is palpable. You look anywhere and you're like, this is like something's happening here. Um, mm. And then also I think it's, you know, fundamentally conditional and that it's like constantly changing. Nothing's really set in stone. There is sort of, I think, a certain constancy to New York just in terms of like, you know, New York will always be New York and there's sort of the fixtures there. Um, but, you know, especially in the last year, last two years, you know, five years, 10 years, we look back, you know, everything's changing constantly in New York. And yeah. I, think, I think that to me is, is much more psychedelic than a place like Boston, which is obviously, I mean, I love Boston, but if I'm being honest, Boston kind of sucks compared to New York. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to live there. Yeah, I don't want to live there. Yeah, if my friends are listening to this, go fuck yourselves, move to New York, Boston <laughs> sucks. That's how I feel too. Like, seriously, I, I, well, yeah, all my, I can't all my best, All my best friends and people that I love very dearly all live in Boston. I'm just like, can you guys not? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm such a snob. Like, I, so I, I can't I live anywhere be, I feel like else. everyone who lives in New York is a snob about it to a certain extent. That's kind of the, that's kind of the, point, yeah, you know, like I, I, I think Boston is like a small town. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, I used to live in Madison. Um, that's right. You were an Epic person. Yeah. I, was, I, I had a student who did that and left Epic, didn't like that job, worked for another company there. And then nobody, nobody seems to, but yeah, I don't know. They overwork everyone who works there, but um, it was so funny meeting the people who, and this is going to be real New York elitist here, but like <laughs> the people who had never like left the state of Wisconsin and like grew up in rural Northern Wisconsin and then moved to Madison. And we're like, Oh wow. It's so crazy to be in the big city. <laughs> and I'm like, Madison is like slightly bigger than like garden city. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's wild to think about. I guess. I did love, yeah. I did love I, not to shit on that. I do love Madison. I think Madison's a great place. Very beautiful. Yeah. Fun. Great people. People, great comedy club. True, comedy on state. Lots of fun there. Um, that's the first first time I saw Soder was uh, comedy on state. Hell yeah. yeah! That's right. You came to my Soder show, right? Yeah. Or did you come to a different one? No, actually, yeah, I came to your Soder show like two days. Yeah, that guy's the best. Yeah, was, everybody, everybody only has good things to say about him. Yeah, he, um, he ripped it up on, on Wednesday. He was fantastic as usual. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You saw his new stuff. I saw him the other day at a bar show, there was like eight people there. It was like him, DeVito, Canise Mobley, Ben Kastner. I was like, this lineup is insane for <laughs> being $10 at a bar. Yeah, it tastes like. Um, that's, that's the other thing I love about New York is that literally anything and everything that you can imagine, you can find it in New York City and you can find the best people doing it. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. The best music, the best electronic music, the best jazz, the best comedy, the best fashion, the best shopping, like the best food, just like everything. Yeah. Is oh, pastry. Boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yeah, whatever you want. Um, yeah, it's it's fun in that way. Um, I only want to spend one or two more minutes on psychedelics. And if there's anything you want to take out or you want to answer, that's fine. But I'm curious for my, because for me, like I read this book and I, I'm, I'm very curious about them, but I have not like pulled the trigger on them. And I imagine most of my nerd listeners maybe haven't um, even just like done as much research as you have. Because I know that like, 
whatever I know the things that you're interested in, you like go all in on. So like, what are some resources, um, that you have learned a lot about, like, forget the experience itself, but just like the, the, like a place to like learn about either mushrooms or acid or just like psychedelics in general. Um, good question. I've, I used to be sort of much more heavily invested in the, in the research and sort of literature aspect of it than I am recently. Um, I think a good, a good resource, generally speaking, I would say is Arrowid, which is a website. E R how do you spell that? E R O W I D, Arrowid.org, which is generally a resource for all drugs, um, in terms of like harm reduction, like what, how much you should be taking, um, you know, the types of experiences that you can reasonably expect to have. Mm. negative outcomes that could happen really just trying to give people objective information about yeah. drugs and like what they do you know risks that that could arise um, yeah you know sort of very much just like a, a data dump um and then it also has like people will write about their experiences and, and upload them um and it's letterboxed right. for so you can instead read, of movies you can read it's trips wild, you can read some pretty wild trip reports on, on airwood um but yeah i guess as far as like harm reduction resources more explicitly. I actually gave a talk in undergrad about harm reduction resources. Uh, Maybe this is what I'm thinking of. You post, I think you posted all of these resources and I was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Um, But yeah, so maps maps is an organization, I guess more specifically around psychedelics, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. Um, They are currently in the midst of like phase three clinical trials to get MDMA approved for use in conjunction with psychotherapy to treat PTSD. They have mm. a sort of a, a sub project or like a, you know, sub, sub, a subsidiary called the yeah. Zendo project, which is more focused specifically on psychedelic harm reduction. And they have a bunch of resources online, how to like guide someone through a psychedelic experience, or if they're having a bad psychedelic experience, how to sort of help them through that. Um, mm. And so they're a really great organization. They're doing a lot of incredible work. Um, and then the Zendo Project in particular, um, they'll like show up at festivals or, or do other things along those lines. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like my, my main recommendation is like, you know, do your research. Don't take psychedelics if you're just like, if you have no idea what to expect. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there, there's, a, there's an element of that. You know, I, I would usually tell people like, don't sort of don't have any expectations, just like kind of like go into it, whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. But but certainly do your research as far as like, you know, dosages and like test your drugs. Holy shit. That's probably the, the number one thing I could say is like test your drugs, especially these days, like fentanyl is, is going around. Yeah. Um, it's like the Fent and Coke in Brooklyn, yeah. right? Test your drugs. Um, less is more. <laughs> you don't need to take more like nine yeah. times out of 10. Um, there's, yeah, I mean, I could, if I thought more about it, I could actually like sort of, no, 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 this is great. Truly like, and compile a list of resources. Um, also if you want to talk about it, like just generally as an individual, we could talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 yeah, Of course. Um, Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, I mean, the, the beauty of the internet and the beauty of the age that we live in now is that there's like a a fabulous wealth of information available to you if you, if you go look for it. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. especially these days, we're very much in the midst of like a psychedelic renaissance. People are talking about it. You know, there's articles in the New York Times and like on NPR, people talking about psychedelics and psychedelic research and like how they're becoming more in vogue. Just, I think specifically in the context of like treating mental illnesses, which is obviously mm. fabulous and, and amazing. But I think the 
realistically, the end goal, um, you know, is, is full legalization or at least decriminalization. I mean, I think we should decriminalize all drugs overnight. That's a very easy decision. Legalization is much trickier and, and sort of difficult yeah. to implement. And we want to think that one through before we really do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, the sort of resurgence and sort of acceptance of these things, I think, is, is incredible. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, even for people who just want to experiment with their consciousness. A great a great thinker that I love, Terrence, I think it was Terrence McKenna, um, once said that if the, if the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness doesn't include the right to experiment with your own consciousness, then the Declaration of Independence isn't worth the hemp it was written on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's really, yeah, I mean, like... God, a right to experiment. Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre that, like, no, legally, you have to live. Not only are we not going to give you health care, not only are we going to force you to pay all these taxes and not give you anything in return, but we also get to control your state of being. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like talk about like right wing, like, oh, we want freedom. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can only be just stimulated on caffeine or just inundated with alcohol. Those are the only options. Yeah. Yeah, the most addicting drug we have yeah. that we sell in seltzer and beer form. <laughs> um, that's the only thing you can do. It's, are, it's there, are those kind of seltzers you drink and you just want to get white claws on the, on the regular? <laughs> I'm writing a sketch now where like I'm personifying all the seltzer brands. So it's like, <laughs> So it's like Polar's like douchebags from Massachusetts um, and like Bud Light Seltzer's or Bros. So I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like the beats of it. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about Seltzer. Anyway, the, what, what that reminded me of is like this, like this idea of like changing your consciousness. It reminds me of the thing that you brought up at the beginning, which is this book that um, about that Pete gave you about neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. which is that when you were talking about that, it made me think about I work with a lot of kids with disabilities and thank you. Um, The kids are amazing. And the idea, like not only physical disabilities, but mental disability, like mental health things, like whatever. And the, the idea of the brain being so, I mean, like, right. Like people have adrenaline lift up cars. Like that's like a classic like thing that the brain, the body, the brain can tell the body to do that we're not normally capable of. So the, the idea that like the brain is so capable of these things and we have to adapt, right. We have to put something on the back of somebody blind with blind's neck for them to see things like every, so many things are possible. You just have to be really creative with your solutions. And for me, working with kids with disabilities, like I, they're not, you know, big brain problems, but they are small adaptability problems, Mm -hmm. either whether it's playing tag with someone who can't see Mm -hmm. or um, playing football or soccer with a kid who's in a wheelchair. It's like, okay, now we have to adapt. Now we have to like figure out how this is going to work in a scientific scale. It's cool that that book was your gateway drug to harder science questions. Uh, And the other thing I wanted to just say real quick is that uh, it's really sweet and beautiful that you brought up Pete Cohn because he, when I do this podcast, he comes up to me all the time. He was, yeah, I think he was such an influence on so many yeah. our friend group and such an impact. Yeah. I mean, yeah, brilliant, brilliant person, such a sweet and loving person. Yeah. I'm so sad. I don't miss him a lot, but yeah. 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 I guess you, maybe, yeah. Cause I was actually thinking along the lines of like neuroplasticity and then your point about, um, like adapting and sort of like, you know, building like a different sort of apparatus, um, either in the context of the blind thing that we were talking about or the, the children that you work for, you know, how can we sort of solve this problem? I think is a fundamentally very, a human thing that we do, you know, how do we adapt to these situations? But I was also mm. thinking of, 
Eric Leonardis. Yeah. They were obviously best friends. And I think you had him on the podcast. I don't know if I actually listened to that whole episode, but I think I saw the clip where he was talking about like brain machine interfaces. Which I, yeah. I would actually love to talk to Eric about that. Um, I, I, have, I have a lot of thoughts on the matter as well. And he's much more informed and much more educated. About what I got to do is I've been thinking about doing episodes of this podcast with friends. Mm. So like have two friends from high school come mm. on be like, well, how did you guys become friends? Whatever. Yeah. And then I think <laughs> when I do like a Patreon one day or something, bonus content, we've already had Matt and Eric. Here's them talking <laughs> and me just like in the background, like prodding. <laughs> That'd be good. I like that. Um, but yeah, no, no, I want to hear, what would you want to talk to Eric about? <laughs> well, he, uh, yeah, I, f- I forget what he was. I mean, I, I think he was very rightfully expressing concerns about, you know, Elon Musk is building this thing called Neuralink right now, which is like very directly trying to in- insert like computers or other electrical devices into people's brains as a means of, you know, treating like mental illnesses or other, um, you know, physiological disorders, you know, like Parkinson's or, you know, so not so much mental illnesses, but like uh, neurological disorders. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the end goal with that, and like Elon has talked about this publicly, you know, it's kind of a shithead. <laughs> <laughs> but like he, you know, he wants to like have these like sort of full like thought-based interfaces where we can like, you know, like play video games or like control music or like, you know, have conversations with people just with their minds, which is like, you know, some really wonky and crazy sci-fi stuff. I mean, something that I think is endlessly fascinating to me and something that I would be like theoretically interested in, but he was, he was bringing up the concept, um, you know, of like security and especially as like a, a centralized company that's like controlling these resources. I think it's extremely harrowing and extremely horrifying. You know, if, if someone controls this or controls that data or really any component of it, but as far as like a decentralized solution is concerned, like if we grant people access to this technology, um, and sort of allow them to make those decisions or lock down, um, you know, the data, you know, sort of interfaces associated with them. You know, is there is there a path forward, or should we, or should we just fundamentally be scared of this technology and reject it? And I don't think there's. Yeah. I think the reality is that like we're working on this, it's kind of going to happen anyway. And so I think yeah. we need to, we sort of need to be thinking about this ahead of time and like make the necessary. Um, steps or, or take the necessary precautions to like to prevent these sorts of things from happening happening yeah. or like put us in the you know best possible solution to succeed and like end up with like a technological utopia rather than a technological dystopia <laughs> yeah i mean it seems to me that there's something like fundamentally different between like um a self-driving car um or even just like you being on your phone all the time having 10 hours of screen time a day yeah, not good. <laughs> then like something i know like those notifications on sunday or everyone's I, worst part of your week. Eric, Eric actually talks about that too. Like I think the extent to which we're already integrated with technology, like your headphones, like your phone in your pocket, like staring at these things. And we're already yeah. interacting with these like very much like advanced artificial intelligences that are curating and, and crafting everything that we see and experience as far as like our internet lives are concerned is already like kind of really fucked up. Um, and the, it's the illusion of choice, right? right? Put your phone down. Yeah. Exactly. Put it on airplane mode. Exactly. I mean, and I think, for, yeah, for me, like, it's like, I'm very much addicted to my phone. Like, I like, I, I, I try to work with it. And like, I'm, I've been getting better about it. But like, it's it's hard. It's hard to put it's hard to put it down sometimes. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, when you said when I messaged you on Instagram, you're like, hey, I try to limit my Instagram time. I was like, oh, like, I admire that a lot. Yeah. Like, I, I need <laughs> to got, because I've, like, I've got the timers. Like, <laughs> 
do you have the what the timer like you're just like you know digital well-being or whatever it is like just put it oh down. cool if you hit like 20 or 30 minutes or whatever you want to do like like you can I mean, you can override the timer but like sure, you know, sure. Point, it's like I'm, I'm really being a shithead if i'm over yeah the yeah well that's the um like the c- comedians we have this like illusion that oh I, I need it for like my brand or like to get more followers or whatever but like you could do the, everything I need to do on Instagram. I could do in 30 seconds or like right. in 30 minutes. Yeah. For me, it's more so I, I feel like social media does have some level of like positive influence. Like, you know, I go on Instagram and I see like, Oh, like Gabe's playing a show at QED. Like maybe I should go and check him out. Like, that's great. And we can have these sort of like real sort of human connections or like someone I haven't spoken to in a while, like watches a, a story of mine. is like, Hey, like, how's it going? Like I've been, I feel like those yeah. sorts of, interactions are, are very much like positive and stimulating and, and allow you to have those sort of more meaningful interactions um, or connections in your, in your real life. It's like the, it's like the doom scrolling and just kind of like the, mm. the endless sort of consumption of content that I feel like is not good. Um, yeah. Or even, or even if it's just like a background, like thing that you sort of do in like moments of silence, I feel like like our ability to like sit there and be our ability to like sit there and be uncomfortable is like really much mm. sort of not, you know, I think that's, did you watch the Bo Burnham special? No, I've been meaning to. Oh, Matt. I mean, both. we got to hang up right now. Cause this is the whole thing is like boredom is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bo's great. Um, Bo's obviously amazing. Um, yeah. You're going to lose your mind at this. I'm honestly set and setting for this too, because <laughs> it's its own experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, especially someone like me, like, you know, I've, I mean, I almost look at technology with like a, a spiritual lens. It's like technology has like, you know, incredible power to like shape and have positive influence over our lives and our society. Um, but then like, you know, there's, there's also the, the sort of the detrimental aspect of it. I mean, you look at something, I mean, like we don't need to talk about like, but like Facebook is like very much like undermining our democracy. And it's like, what the fuck yeah. is going on? What are yeah. we doing? Um, I had a conversation yesterday with my friend, Chloe Radcliffe about, she didn't know that Facebook had inflated the video numbers. So Facebook had video on their platform and they inflated the video numbers and all these news platforms, including the onion, including Gawker, including all these websites pivoted to video because they're like, Oh, we're, we don't need a, our own website. We're just going to run our traffic through video through Facebook. And then it came out that Facebook had just inflated these numbers, destroyed these journalistic institutions uh, that never pivoted back. And Chloe was like, that happened to the onion. And I was like, yeah, it kind of got uh, overshadowed by them <laughs> ruining our democracy, but it also hurt the onion. <laughs> the onion is the, un- the unsung victim. <laughs> yeah. um but no i mean you're you're exactly right and like bo burnham talks about this better than anybody but it's just like people just like idiots in a boardroom ambitious like i mean dorks who control the algorithm yeah i mean i mean yeah i have complicated feelings about capitalism and other economic systems but like you know when you have a profit motive to keep people's eyes glued to a screen like that's kind of problematic sort of that yeah <laughs> the whole thing's a casino right it's yeah, just like yeah. with our minds and our time it's not they're like the dollar that's right. like the third thing right and they're like i mean like and that's what i do and i think why i would have reservations about like working for some of those companies but like i am a software engineer and people extremely intelligent people who have like a mastery over these sorts of things and these technologies are like designing these pieces of software to mm. work 
extremely effectively and they're really, yeah. and they're really good at their jobs uh, yeah and they make 200 grand a year yeah exactly. and like you know like part of me is like i get it <laughs> yeah, and a part of me is like i can't but i can't necessarily blame them but it's also i don't know it's uh it's it's complicated like 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 most things in the in our world in our society it's yeah. complicated and there's there's a level of nuance i think to everything Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm always. I think that's my political perspective. Like, have more nuanced opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, like, I um, I've really in the last few years just like gone full leftist. True. Um, Me too. Where I'm just like, uh-huh. I just like despise the the middle of the road liberal yeah. I used to be, it's and pretty, I just like didn't pretty, know any better. I, I also despise middle of the road liberals. <laughs> um, where I'm just like, it's not enough. To have you, tried, have you tried anarchy, Gabe? <laughs> <laughs> I just want healthcare. I don't, I just like want to be able to quit my job. Here's what I want. I want to be able to quit. Do you know how much better art would be in the world True. if like you could be diabetic and quit your job and make art? Like right now, you just can't do that. You'll just die. You have to be diabetic. Oh, all right. Oh, never mind. Well, just like whatever you I, have, I, I, right? I misunderstood your point. I thought you were saying you were <laughs> diabetic. And I was like, why? <laughs> Uh, I want more like if you're diabetic you have to work your shitty job right exactly you can't focus on it because no, you can't no, be a absolutely. comedian in New York of course and like that's just one example you could have a million things a sick parent like whatever it is I mean, yeah no I mean I think uh, again another example where like capitalism has failed specifically the healthcare industry um, yeah we're just so blatant it's like oh we don't need insurance companies they provide no service right they're pretty awful um but yeah, anarchism, very interesting in terms of like leftist political thought. If you ever want to take a Wikipedia rabbit hole, start reading about anarchism on. Um, I know. I have a hard enough time talking to people who identify as liberal and not leftist where I'm like, oh, man, if I go anarchist, like it's going to be <laughs> I'm going to we're going to have nothing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think especially in like today's day and age, like a lot of things that we're talking about now, like abolish the police or even just like mutual aid. Um, mm. or sort of, you know, th- these sorts of community outreach and social programs, I think are sort of more fundamentally linked to ideas of, of anarchist thought. Um, mm. What yeah. can you, can you tell me like what, what sort of like pushed you left? Cause I wasn't, I was like an Obama Democrat basically in, including the Hillary election yeah. and somewhere in like 16, 17, I was just like, Oh, healthcare is like the thing that I care about the most. I can't support anyone who's not a hundred percent all in on getting everybody healthcare right now. Yeah. I don't know if it was like one specific thing. I feel like it was like hanging out with various people and like having conversations with them about their political perspectives. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think spending time in like the Bushwick techno world where there's like mm. a lot of like hard, hard leftists and like specific political organizing going on in those spaces. Also yeah. like radically queer spaces, um, which sort of like align with those sort of radical leftist politics. Um, yeah. and just like spending time with those people and listening to them. Uh, I feel like yeah. sort of nudged me in that direction. Certainly. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah. Any po- any podcast? You have a leftist podcast that you? No, I mean, I, I don't. I don't engage with it to the extent that that other people do. But I, I, sure. I think it's something that I. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have an open mind with, and I, it definitely yeah. resonates with me more, um, probably than it, than it ever did in the past. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like a part of me always was also even like years ago where I wouldn't identify as a leftist, but like part of me was also like bothered by like centrist liberals i'm like something just doesn't sit right with me about you people like 
Yeah. You um, know what it felt like? It felt like I can't believe I have to defend these people. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Where you're like, something's off. Like, I'm defending Hillary Clinton. And yeah, like, it's like some kind, when you, I don't think she's great. When you, see conserv- <laughs> when you see like conservatives and Republicans complain about liberals, I'm almost like, you know what? You're kind of right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it honestly freed me up to have such better conversations with conservative people. Right. Where yeah. they're like, Nancy Pelosi. I'm like, yeah, yeah I agree. Pelosi she's not giving, sucks. Yeah. She's not giving us health care. What are you talking about? Right. She did, she wore a kente cloth during the George, she said oh. George Floyd gave his life for the cause. It's like, he shouldn't have had to. What the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Like, they just say all these ridiculous things. It's like you could be doing so much better with such little amount of effort. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's too contrarian or too radical to be like, oh, no, I actually don't drink this like mainstream Dem Kool-Aid that serves yeah, no, no absolutely one. Absolutely not. But then like you bring that up and I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, how could you <laughs> like, how could you be against this? Yeah, I guess you love Trump. It's like, no, I hate that guy. No, I hate no, I, him. I hate all of these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, absolutely. I hate a broken political system. Actually, my, my recent thing that I've been looking into is, I don't know if you, I assume you voted in the mayoral election. I didn't because I hadn't moved officially yet. Oh, I, I thought you were still living in a story. I guess it was just the primary. But I literally just moved. Okay, nice. Anyway, but yeah, like rank, rank choice voting, which is like yeah. definitively better than sort of like single choice, single winner voting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, I just started looking into like voting systems and like all these like niche situations. Like if there's like a three-way race and they're all like really close and then like people, you get into this like game theoretic idea of like, oh, who should I vote for if I want? If like my ideal candidate isn't realistically going to win, but like, I don't want the bad candidate to win. How can I get yeah. like the, the median candidate to win and how like our existing system fails like most of the time in this, unless it's just like a two party race. Um, and then like people, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really broken. But then even yeah. choice voting, like doesn't really fix a lot of these problems. It fixed like the classic problem where there's like two parties and then like a third party. So you can vote for like the Bernie, and then, like, you can put Hillary second because you're like, ah, like, I'd rather have Hillary than Trump. So it of works course, in that case. But if they were all, like, equally matched, then people, like, it ends up failing. And so there's a much mm. simpler voting system, like approval voting, where you just mark everyone that you would be okay with, like, being in office. And then quite literally, whoever has the most approval wins. Oh, interesting. And so it's, like, it's way simpler to explain than ranked choice voting because you get into this idea of, like, oh, I shouldn't put my first choice first because, like, that could end up hurting them in, like, a very niche situation, like, three tiers down the line. You know what it feels? It feels like everyone's now, like, the judge on a American talent show. <laughs> what? Where it's, like, where it's, like, everyone has to be Randy Jackson. It's like, ooh, I had Ruben Studdard first, and then I had Clake, and then I, like, like, every, like we have to do it in a way where, like, <laughs> everyone feels like... Yeah. Everyone has a list. Everyone has a top 10. Yeah. I also don't, I mean, I don't even blame people who don't vote. Like our political system is pretty fundamentally broken. Yeah. No, I get, I mean, disenfranchisement, like the Democrats are not really promising a lot. I want the Democrats to be a party where it's like what they're offering is so good and so <laughs> obvious that you'd have to be like really stupid. Right. Yeah. Not to vote for them. Like it should, it should hit you over the head. It should be like, do you want taxes? Games. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But even the the deal should be so good. It should be just be like buckets of gold that you get (laughs) or like, and the Republicans are like, but how about this shit? 
in a suitcase and you're like, well, I have to go with the health care. I'm going to have to go with health care. How nice is the suitcase though? Daycare. Yeah. I know it's probably leather studded and fucking um, like ready to go. There's like a, a lock and key on it or whatever. Yeah, I think the um, only reason I'm a registered Democrat is because the Republican Party is demonstrably worse. But I'm not happy about the fact that I'm a registered Democrat. Yeah, I'm not like super proud of it. I don't, I really I don't like tell people that unless they ask me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's nice to be able to vote in a primary, I guess. I've heard people register as Republicans so they can vote for the least harmful <laughs> Republican. I'm like, I get it. Like, whatever you want That's to do, so man. Funny. And this level yeah. of like political trolling that we're into, it's like, just like this is we like counter- only reality. speak in political trolling. I know it's it's like a complete nightmare. It's yeah, it's 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 terrifying. Everyone's got like one up the other, or just like roast. Own, yeah, like oh, yeah, owning own. the libs, owning the Republicans, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, and so on. Yeah, no one's listening. Yeah, it's no um, listening. No one actually wants to help people. They just want to win. Yeah, yeah. That's why I just want. I just want a party that gives everyone the stuff we're entitled to. Yeah. I can't tell you how many comedians I know who's like, ooh, I don't know if I should take unemployment. I'm like, it's your money. Yeah. <laughs> like you pay into the system. You pay, I can take it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we have this like. <laughs> Such such basic fundamental things feel so right wing to me. Like anyone saying I shouldn't take this money, it's like take the money. They should be giving. That's the least they should be giving you. Yeah, absolutely, that's the cool. absolute floor. Um, okay, so the one thing we didn't talk about yet is um, is banned and um, you being like a killer um, marching band person, um, but also just like a drummer and other stuff. So can you tell me like how you got into band and we'll slowly begin to wrap up, but I just want to hear how I, how who I gave you drumsticks. Like, what's your deal? Oh, okay. You want the whole spiel. Yeah. Yes. My brother was a drummer. My older brother. That's right. The redhead. Redhead. Tommy O. Uh, <laughs> so he was a drummer. And so I grew up watching him like play and get good at the drums. I feel like that was uh-huh. definitely an early inspiration for me. My mother did not want me to play the drums. She wanted me mm. to play the trombone, so I did trombone in fourth grade. Really? For like six months, and I was like, nah. With Mr. Benvenuto? Yeah, Mr. Benvenuto. Holy shit, what a throwback. I can't even... I was I don't talking think I to Pando. able to pull that name up. Well, I talked to Pando last week, okay. and we were talking about him. Nice. And, um, What's Pando done? <laughs> She's great. You can, <laughs> there's an hour and 20 minutes over I'll, if you're I'll, curious. I'll <laughs> um, but did you watch the queen's gambit? No, I've had it recommended. Okay. There's a, there's a character who reminds us of Mr. Benvenuto. <laughs> if you watch the first episode, you'll be like, that's Mr. Benvenuto. <laughs> I remember Mr. Benvenuto. He was cool. He's a good man. But yeah. I can't even imagine you playing the trombone. That's so funny to me. <laughs> this is kind of funny. Uh, and yeah, so I started, I guess a year late, I switched in fifth grade cause we started in fourth grade. And then kind of hit the ground running from there. Um, yeah, I feel like I was always like really loved music. Like I would jam out in my bedroom, like listening to CDs, listening to bands. And so I always really loved music. Started playing the drums in fifth grade, met people who showed me like classic rock around that time and sort of like had my mind blown like any young white 10 year old listening to Led Zeppelin for the first time. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, got deep into that aspect of it, you know, started playing. And it's a social thing, too. All, yeah, I feel like absolutely. all your friends were all music-adjacent yeah, people. Yeah, like, I with all, like, I always played in bands in high school and middle school and all those mm-hmm. times. Um, so, yeah, but then I, as far as, like, band itself and, I guess, how we got introduced to one another, um, yeah, did marching band. Um, Hell yeah. And I got, yeah, I was, I was the cool kid who joined high school marching band in eighth grade. Oh, um, wow. So I, okay. I had five whole years of it. Um I didn't join until 10th grade, so you're like, probably... Like, what a loser, dude. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
But yeah, I had five whole years of drumline, which I really loved. Um, I mean, we always snare. No, I started. I started out on snare, and then my freshman year, I think I did snare again. I, I did one year of quads or one year of tenors, and then I was uh-huh. section leader junior senior year and then i was mm-hmm. there i love those quads those are so fun they're fun they're really to just like play around really with really wonderful instrument you can get all sorts of interesting interesting sort of melodic lines out of it or, or just fun little runs it's really great yeah, yeah i was I, always wanted to pivot and they were always like we need you we need the trumpet sound i was like fine <laughs> no trumpets are beautiful i feel like i i have a I like I, I want I guess the next instrument I want to learn is piano or keys. But I feel like yeah. as much as I love the drums and I love percussion, um, there's a part of me that I feel like as far as like my desire to like write and make my own music or compose my own music, like wishing I had more of a a feel for melody and a feel for harmony. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, piano is a, a percussion instrument. It is. Yeah, I think I, I would have like the rhythmic element to it. And then I guess I have like, you know, I always, I could play like mallet instruments so I can play timpani. Um, so I can at least read music in that regard, but sort of have Yeah, more. you should take lessons, dude. I, that, that's like, I feel like that was like something on the mind that once pandemics over, like started taking piano lessons. <laughs> you will love it. Yeah. You will love it. Also, I feel like that's so much of what I love about going to see music is like seeing someone rip on like an organ or on keyboards. It's like, ugh, so good. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a transcendental experience for me when I see somebody play the piano because like I took piano lessons in college. I took two half hours a week nice because I had I had free lessons and they were just like, take whatever you want. Right. Yeah. And I really wanted to be great at it. I wanted to be a choir teacher. I was like, I got to get good at this. And it just like it was really hard for me. So I really do appreciate like how good when people are good at it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, seeing anyone who's just like virtuosic or a true virtuoso at their instrument is like uh, so much respect, so much admiration for that. And that's, yeah, I feel like also that like almost comes back into what we were talking about, like the, the human element of things, just like sharing music. And yeah, for me as a drummer, I feel like, you know, I guess you know, I resonate more with like drum kit and like playing in bands. There's no good mm-hmm. drummers who can't play with other people. Like the drum set is very much not like a solo instrument. Like you can solo oh, on drums. Interesting. Um, and there are great drum solos that I love and admire. But, you know, like a really good drummer is, is really about sort of keeping people together um, you know, keeping time and, and sort of showcasing the other instruments and the other musicians. Um, yeah. I love, oh, the, I love that. I love the drum together. kit relationship to the bass. True. Yeah. You guys, you, it's like, you gotta be locked in. Like you gotta, you gotta know exactly what each other are doing. And so like that, yeah. like communicative element of it, as well as mm. like that expressive element of it is something that I really love. I am not playing the drums right now. It's actually very depressing. I've not been, <laughs> um, but yeah, something I want to do more of. I was trying to reconnect with some old college friends who are around, so we might go jam. So that's a thing that people can do now. Um, Hell yeah. So yeah, that's all very exciting. But honestly, did you watch Whiplash? Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a good movie. I come back. I to the music was terrible. Like the jazz itself in it was like really not that good. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, I um... I mean, like J.K. Simmons was obviously great. Yeah, what yeah. somebody described him as a walking erection. Wait, what? <laughs> in his performance as oh, the yeah. psycho jack, he's just like a big dick, oh, like literally and physically. <laughs> he's veiny. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah, for me, honestly, I spend most of my time thinking about uh, electronic music these days. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Um, that's actually, it relates to one of the questions I, we'd like to wrap up with. So you've, you've reached the high metal, uh, the high stakes metal round, which is our final fill in the blank questions. Are you ready? 
There we go. I need a jingle for this section. That's what I really need. Um, here's what I wrote down. The best book I read recently is blank. Uh, one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Nice. Very nice. Um, uh, the Matt O'Connor late night coding drink and snack combo. Either the gin and tonic, a sour Ooh. beer. I'm not, I'm not answering this question. A gin and tonic, a sour beer, or straight bourbon <laughs> and <laughs> like trail mix and cookies. <laughs> trail mix and cookies. Okay. I love <laughs> you, little thin carb boy. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> I wrote this one down. If you've never done a drug before, you should start with blank. Your answer does not have to be a drug. It could be start with something else. Never done um, a drug before. Wow. Great. Question. People who listen to us are straight laced. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming. I just assume anyone who likes me is a nerd. <laughs> yeah. If you've never done a drug before, I don't know. I, I guess I would say alcohol, but that's kind of a bad uh, <laughs> beer and see how you feel. Um, yeah, I'd almost say smoke weed too, but that's also a terrible answer. I almost want to, yeah, I almost want to say something like not directly psychoactive, like go to a concert, like mm. go to a concert or like go take a hike and like see a beautiful piece of nature and get high, get high off that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. If only the the teenagers our teenage self could see us now. Um, and the last one I wrote was everyone should listen to blank. Everyone should listen to techno. <laughs> Everyone's okay. Te- what kind of techno? Teach uh, me. Oh, I, I can't teach you in this short period of time. Techno, <laughs> like, the, the level of diverse, I say techno is more so like an umbrella term for, well, techno is a genre in and of itself, but also just like, like underground electronic music is just like a massively huge piece of like musical culture. Um, mm. And so there's all sorts of like ridiculously nitty gritty subgenres that I could nerd out to you about for hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think electronic music in general or just dance music in general is just like such, I mean, a huge part of my life these days and has been for the past few years at this point. Um, yeah. It's just like such an overwhelmingly beautiful and incredible piece of like our American musical heritage is like techno very much American music house is very much American music comes from like Chicago and Detroit and sort of like watching that evolution over time and like how things have changed and also just like yeah I think for me what I nerd out about it is just like I feel like it's endlessly creative and like infinitely stimulating in the sense that like I regularly hear sounds and things that just like blow my mind I feel like the, Mm. the level of I mean, I don't want to shit on not electronic music, but like, you know, in terms of like bands and sort of like the level of sounds that you can get out of like a guitar or sort of like a straight like quartet, you're like sort of fundamentally limited. I mean, like you can start routing electronics and effects through it, but that's sort of where you're getting a lot of your, you know, timbral changes. And I think so much of the beauty of like, you know, acoustic instruments is like, you know, it's all in your fingers. It's all in like the sort of like subtle idiosyncratic human movements of like your fingers or your, your feel or your armature or whatever. Whereas like electronic music is just like, how do I engine, like you're engineering sound, you're engaging this level of sound design um, to like really just blow people's minds. And then there's also the compositional element of it where you're like creating these lush soundscapes, but also just like really groovy and beautiful melodies. But like, 
juxtaposed with this like you know harsh or like industrial noise but like on the other side it's like you know beautiful and uplifting it's just like such a huge range of emotions and and sounds and and colors it's it's really wonderful great stuff mm. also yeah i mean like new york city i've never yeah. heard it described as american before yeah I, mean, I always think of it as like a european like yeah, german dance like club the, the european the german whitewashed version of techno uh-huh. techno is black music black people made techno like all wow like, okay like all good forms of music like yeah yeah because the way you were talking about that you could have filled in jazz techno and jazz and like, actually are, are very similar to me in a certain sort of way jazz also very much had an influence on techno sort of like early detroit motown like funk and soul um you know which they sort of got a lot of their influences from jazz you can you can very much trace the sort of musical lineage of electronic music back to jazz in a lot of ways yeah there's also like very clear like you know i regularly hear people like sampling jazz solos or just like jazz singers over house tracks and techno tracks and it's like a very it's a very clear relationship i love that man that was wow i did not expect you to go there i thought you were gonna be like this band (laughs) that was fascinating that was really cool um well matt thanks for doing the podcast this is great this will be out next week this is lovely thank Um, you for having me yeah just um, like let's hang you know like i'm around i know i'm back i'm gonna be away next week um but literally july just like come you know what you should do on a night where i have like a couple shows or something just like come hang out and run from show to show honestly that sounds great i feel like i've always one thing that listening to techno has not allowed me to do is enjoy all the other things that I like to do. One of which is comedy. Yeah. And I feel like I just want to see more comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, by the time <laughs> I brought someone I was dating once, we, I was like, I was on a show and then I went to two shows and we're in the back and she's like, that was a lot of comedy. I was like, Oh, I didn't occur to me that it was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I love the environment. Like what you were talking about before, like just, you know, people hanging out and, sort of that level yeah. of creative engagement it's, it's a lot of fun <laughs> yeah and you'll get to talk shit in the back that's like the best yeah. part <laughs> <laughs> um this was fun man i really appreciate you doing it i'm gonna i'm gonna people don't realize this about the podcast but when i end the podcast i really am hanging up on the person i feel like people don't know that but that's that's how this works this is the look behind the camera i'm prepared i'm prepared to not talk to you anymore. <laughs> well uh, i appreciate it buddy and i'll talk to you soon thanks see ya see ya Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week when I'm back in the studio, a.k.a. my queen's apartment. Bye.